stand in the honoring of the reading of God's holy word. We'll be reading from Daniel chapter 2 today. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We got versions of the Bible back there. We'll be reading from the ESV. That's the official version for the church. So if you want to follow along perfectly, ESV. And I'll be reading the entire chapter. Daniel chapter 2. This is the word of God. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants to dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see the word from me affirmed. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me this interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or a Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah 
a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to you, king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly iron and partly clay. And as you looked, the stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and gold all together were broken in pieces. It became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was a dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of men, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, they shall mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together. This is iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the promise of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. That is the word of God. Appreciate your attention. I know that's a long reading. And want to pray for this church. I know we got a lot of members out, including my father and mother, the pastor, my mother, my sister and brother-in-law. That's Andy and Chantel. Got many others, probably 
after traveling. Any others that I'm that I'm not mentioned? I'm thinking of. Okay. But just praying for those. Also praying for those who are sick. We got some surgeries coming up. We got a lot of things coming up in this summer. And we also need to pray for this city. You know, when it get hot, the temperature goes up, but so does the foolishness. Let's pray that God protect us as we go through this summer period. Amen. Amen. We can pretty much count between Memorial and Labor Day as summer for us. So let's pray that we be safe. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to be a church. We thank you for those who were able to get away and travel, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you give them refreshment to their hearts, Lord, so they can come back and be renewed. We pray for those in our church who are sick. Some sicknesses we know about, some we don't, Lord. I pray that you would just work with them, Lord. They would understand your will through those struggles. And I pray that you would work with us as a church, Lord, that we will pray and comfort and be with all of our saints. We got some saints in the hospital right now, Lord, who are trying to uh, listen to your word, Lord. I pray that you just bless them, Lord. We pray and thank you for the faithfulness of many of our members, many of whom are just here week in and week out, Lord. And we notice them when they're gone, Lord, and it's a big impact. I just think about my sister. Um, Yesterday we had such a hard time, Lord, trying to figure out what choir song she wasn't in because she's so faithful. So we thank you, Lord, for just her faithfulness and Andy's faithfulness, given the financial forecast, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, for these members, Lord. But they're just a symbol of all the faithfulness that you've gathered in this church, Lord. And so I thank you for allowing us to all be a part of that. And I pray that you just bless this ministry, Lord. Bless it today, Lord, that it will be a service that will give glory to you, Lord, and that it will be um, in keeping with the honor that others have been given in this church for years, Lord that we would not let the level of spirituality that we do today go down just because they're gone. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Song. It is hard to play, though. Amen. All right. You've heard God's word being read, Daniel chapter 2. And I thank God for putting a word in my mouth to be able to Priestess today and Daniel 2. And this is just an interesting book. Daniel is just such an diff- interesting book. It's a difficult book. And one of the difficulties is, of course, you know, you get towards the end and you got these prophecies that, let me tell you, me and Brother Dale, we, we scrunch our heads up trying to figure those out. But it's written during the captivity. And by the captivity, we mean that the Israelites' country was destroyed. And they were working and living in different countries because their country had been taken. And Daniel was one of those captives. And it was written during a time when the Jews had to be questioning God's purpose and God's will towards them. And in the midst of their questions, God reassures them by calling a new prophet. Because God has never abandoned a people to whom he sent a prophet. And chapter 1, it can almost be missed, but you get this idea that Daniel has set his heart to serve God. And he was persistent. 
you know, I always miss this, but if you look at the text in chapter one, you get this idea that he first said, hey, I don't want to eat this food. And they said no to him the first time. But then it said he asked a servant of the guy in charge. Right. He did an end around and he said, hey, um, why don't you just test us for 10 days and see if it's any bad effects of what we want to do? And the truth be told, it should have been a bad effect, but God sustained his people. And so Daniel chapter one proves that God sustains those who set their hearts to serve him. And then we get to chapter two. And you got the king troubled by his own dreams. And I know we sitting there and we saying, well, does the king had dreams? Come on, man, just a dream. But we got to understand that in biblical terms, dreams are not always the insignificant things we might think they are. Right. We got two Josephs in the Bible and both of them had a lot to do with dreams. Jesus stepdad, Joseph, we've been reading through on Sunday morning how he communicated with the Lord basically through dreams. And then Joseph in the Old Testament, he received dreams. And so there is a way of communicating through dreams that we may not fully understand. We only know this, that some dreams are utter nonsense and some dreams. God is speaking. And it just so happened that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he just knew it was significant. He knew. He just had a feeling that it was meant to be something. And so he calls up the wise men. It says here, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. He calls them up. And these are very wise men. In fact, you could say that the wise men that visited Jesus came from these guys. They knew what they were talking about. They studied astrology deeply. They knew every major religion in the whole world. They had a study and a way of interacting with all the different gods. They were experts. But they were lost. Because they represent spirituality and wisdom without God. And so he calls these guys, and that's the first section, verse 1 through 2, you see him call these guys. And then the next section, verse 3 and 4, he asks them to explain the dream. And so they come to him and they say, oh, king, live forever. And that's just another way of saying, hey, king, don't worry, you're not going to die, right? Don't let this worry you to death. Don't let this take no years off your life. King, we got you. You tell me the dream, I got the interpretation. We got it, king, don't worry. Don't stress on this one. We got you. Until they hear verse 5 through 7, the next section. He says, the word from me is firm. And they, I know they had to be thinking, like, what word? Because all he did is say, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They think, okay, cool. Tell us the dream. Uh, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you should be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. What? It's a death penalty on this now? And they're sitting there thinking to themselves, wait, 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 we must have missed something. You want us to tell you the dream and its interpretation. And I know they had to be sitting there saying, we can make up any interpretation if we want. But we can't, how do we know what he dreamt? But the king is serious. He said, I got a death penalty on this. 
but also got a reward. If you tell me to dream, I'll give you honor. I'll promote you. I'll give you riches. And so they answer a second time and say, uh, well, uh, you know, you tell us a dream and we'll interpret it for you. So they stutter now. And the king is very wise. Now he's very cruel, but he's very wise. And so the king makes three points in verse 8 through 11. Number one, you're stalling. You stalling. I see you trying to save time. But my word still tends, stands, number two. You've been lying to me all along. You know, it's something about people who claim to be spiritual. They often the ones that be lying the most. Mm-hmm. Tell Miss Cleo she know the way, right? <laughs> Y'all remember them old things? Miss Cleo wasn't nothing but a lie, right? Right, Miss Cleo. Some people will call Miss Cleo and spend lots of money on Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo would take that money. But she wasn't telling the truth. Lots of times, people like to lie about spiritual things because here's the thing. It's hard to tell what's true and what's not true. People go to church and they say, name it and claim it. And how can you really say naming and claiming is not right because you're a skeptic, so you're not going to name it and claim it, so of course you're not going to get to claim it. And then they trot somebody in front of you, right? Hey, the pastor rich. They're not going to tell you he's naming and claiming your money. They're not going to tell you that. Sometimes you turn on these networks and they done healed somebody, right? Oh, we healed this guy. Look, he got a broken foot and he just jumped up and now look at him. He's dunking the ball. And you want to see the records on this stuff, you know, but nobody there to get the records. No skeptic has seen like nobody like me is around. Like, wait a second, this dude was walking just fine a few minutes ago, but that's not shown. And what we get from that is that King had long suspected that the wise men were nothing but wise guys. They were people who claimed to be spiritual, but they really didn't know real answers. They couldn't answer what the king wanted to answer. In fact, that's the point of verse 8 through 11. Nobody could answer. And the wise men even say that. They say, listen, king, nobody can answer that. Nobody on earth. No king has ever asked this. And lastly, nobody knows this but the guys. How can we know what was in your head, what you dreamt? We can't know that, king. And thank God the king was reasonable. He said, you know, you're right. All right, let's just meet together on Tuesday. Is that what happened? No, it says because of this, the king was angry. The king was furious, and I entitled this section, verse 12 through 16, the king woke up and chose violence. He didn't get the answer he wanted, so he chose death. He chose death. His request, in many senses, was unreasonable. And he chose death. And Daniel intervenes, right? Now, they're in the middle of arrest, and so you got to imagine that this thing happened, the king makes an announcement, all wise men round him up. And they're going to arrest Daniel. Daniel don't even know why he's getting arrested, right? So he's sitting there saying, hey, uh, 
what's going on? Now, here's the thing about Daniel is it says he replied with prudence and discretion. That wouldn't have been me, right? You arresting me for no reason? Boy, I'm going to respond with wildness and aggression. But Daniel doesn't respond with that. He responds with prudence. What is prudence? Prudence means to govern yourself with reason. Discretion means the ability to speak in such a way that you don't stir up negative emotion. Because here's the thing, the king can do whatever he wants. And Daniel knew that. And so Daniel responds, and he does question what's going on, but he, he doesn't get all wild with it. Right? And he says, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And they tell him what happened. He's sitting there, wow. I'm just noting that they called all the wise men, but they never called me. And he says, I'll meet with the king. Now, I want you to note he promises to meet with the king, but he has not received any guarantee from God that he will know the answer. This is an act of faith. It's not a foregone conclusion that the story will end happily. You know, the only real wise man in this story prudently disarmed the violent king, and he trusted his God to provide him an answer that no man could give him. The king was set on violence, and Daniel didn't have the weapons to match the king. All he could do was disarm the king with his wisdom, and in the meantime, call on his God. So then we get to verse 17, all the way through verse 23. Daniel tells his friends. He tells his friends. It speaks to the importance of having a holy community. I thank God that I can come to church and I can tell you guys if something disastrous is going on and y'all can pray for me. And that's what Daniel does. He said, guys, we got a death warrant out for us. What, Daniel? Why? We got to pray, guys. We got to pray. We got to pray that God give us an answer because if he doesn't, we're gone. They all get up there and pray. And here's the odd thing. They all pray for Daniel to receive God's blessing because there's no jealousy amongst these guys. They're not competing with one another. They're praying for their own survival. And as they pray, the mystery gets revealed. It is said it was revealed in the night. Daniel went to sleep, right? The king dreamed. He received a confusing dream. Daniel dreams. He sees a clarifying dream. And then Daniel blesses the God of heaven. I want you to note that he blesses a specific God that wise men say only the gods know. It's not gods. Daniel said it's the God of heaven that knows. You know, the Babylonians believed that all the forces of nature were gods. And all they did was imagine that the wind was a lady or that fire was a man. They just imagined that. They made it up. It was fictional stories. But we don't believe in a God like that. We believe in a God of heaven. He doesn't have his little role where he's a fire God and he can't touch water. You know, there's other scriptures when it said, well, their God is the God of the valleys. We got the God of the mountains. God said, no, I'm the God of the hills and the mountains. 
I'm the God of fire and water. I'm the God of all things. I'm the God that reigns in heaven. In fact, when God is blessed by Daniel, Daniel blesses God's sovereignty. He says, first of all, blessed be the name of God who owns wisdom and might. God owns wisdom. God owns strength. And then he, he praises seven areas of God's sovereignty. He says he changes times and seasons. God controls the era. God controls the era. God controls the economy. God controls when it's a bull market, when it's a bear market. God controls when it's inflation, when it's deflation. God controls when it's a wartime, when it's a peacetime. God controls when it's party time, when it's serious time. God controls the era. God controls the empire. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He controls that. He sets the presidents. I get it. We vote for somebody. We say our guy lost or our guy won. But it's God's guy who always wins. And we may not like God's guy. I know it. Oh, I know it. I don't like the mayor. I don't like the governor. Don't like the president. I don't like a lot of the people in power, but they are still appointed by God. And you may say, man, we live in an evil era. All the God's people lived in evil eras. You think this guy is a good king? You think Nebuchadnezzar is a good king? When he don't get the answer to his dreams, he's willing to kill and slaughter many people? That's not a good dude. You think Moses reigned in a time when Pharaoh was good? Pharaoh didn't want to listen to nobody. You think Jesus lived under a good king? You think Paul, who wrote the words, obey your government, lived under a good king? It's not about their moral good. It's about the fact that we recognize that God is sovereign. He sets up the kings. He sets up the powers. And we are his servants. God is sovereign over wisdom. So he gives wisdom to the wise. He gives people the ability to know how. I thank God for people like Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence know how to fix everything. With a paper clip. Amen. <laughs> Who gave Brother Lawrence that ability to know how to do things? That's The Lord gave that. He also gave that to unsaved people. You go to a mechanic, that's unsaved. God gave him that know-how. God gave that doctor that ability. God gives wisdom. But then God also gives knowledge. He's the one that gives understanding to people. He's the one that allows a scientist to understand science. He may not believe God, but he got that gift from God. He is the one who is sovereign over the deep things. He reveals deep and hidden things like this dream. All spiritual matters in some ways are deep and hidden. It's God who reveals it. I remember one time I was praying to the Lord and God was revealing to me when people were listening, people wasn't listening to his word. Who could reveal that deep and hidden thing? Only God. 
I think about Peter when Ananias and Sapphira stood before him and he said, you agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit. Who revealed that to Peter? It was God. God knows what's deep and hidden. God knows what me and you think. God knows why me and you act. God knows what me and you feel. God knows how you and I fail. God knows our gifts. God knows what we good at. God knows what we bad at. God knows the deep and hidden. But here's an odd one. God is sovereign over the darkness. What is that? He knows what can't be known. Isn't it funny that Jesus said no man knows the hour? But we got all kind of people trying to figure out what the hour is going to be. That's darkness. God knows what can't be known. There are some things that no matter how intelligent we might feel we are, we have to recognize we will not know. God knows them, but we don't. We have to trust him over those things. There are many things we just don't know. And then lastly, God, it says, and the light dwells within him. God is sovereign over the light. What is that? That is the good and the true. In God is all moral virtue. He's sovereign over that. Now you tell me out of those seven things, what is God not sovereign over? In fact, you could look at the number seven and I could tell you all kinds of things about the number seven, but we all gonna understand this. Seven means unity. Seven means completeness. Seven means all. God is sovereign over all. There's no field of knowledge, no field of anything that he does not know or understand or have complete control of. So God is sovereign over all this. And Daniel blesses him for that. So think about this blessing. It's kind of a mirror, and the passage itself is a mirror, and I will talk about that later. But God bless, Daniel blesses the God of heaven because he owns wisdom and might. Daniel blesses God because he's sovereign sevenfold. And then God is blessed by Daniel because he gives wisdom and might. He says, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. Before he says you own wisdom and might, he says, now you've given me. That's only your mercy. It's only your grace that allowed me to have wisdom and might. And why do we need wisdom and might? Because we need to understand his word. Those are necessary to understand God's word. Wisdom and might. So Daniel takes this answer from the God, from God. He blesses God. And after he receives this answer, he goes to the king's man and he says, hey, don't kill. Don't destroy the wise men. I'll go meet with the king. Now, lots of people get confused by this passage, at least ancient writers were. Because if you follow the law, you'll understand that all sorcerers and all those people deserve death. I know in our modern day we think, well, let people live, let them live. But that's not how it was in the scripture. You got to understand that when Daniel was saying, let these people live, he was saying, let people live who deserved in other ways to die. And the principle that we get from that is this. Good men are merciful. The act of one good man saves many lives, even the lives of those who truly don't deserve it. I also will note, and I include this in the same section, verse 25, 
Ariok brought Daniel in, and he said, I have found. Stop. I have found among the exiles. He had taken all the credit, didn't he? He giving himself a medal. He said, I have found. But Daniel doesn't respond to that. Because Daniel is only focused on the purpose that God put him there for. He's not too worried about Ariok doing his political maneuvering. He's worried about giving God's word to the king. So then the king asked Daniel, he said, hey, nobody else could answer me. Can you answer me? He asked the question, are you able? And Daniel answers him with three words. The first one is, no, I'm not able. No wise man is able to answer that. No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Nobody can. But God in heaven can. It's only God who reveals mysteries, king. In fact, it's not even me, and it's revealed to me not because I'm more wise or I'm greater than anybody else. It's only because it's God's purpose that you don't understand the thoughts of your own mind. Interesting the way he puts it. That you would understand the thoughts of your own mind. And then Daniel explains the dream. The dream is a complex dream. You got this statue that is gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay. And it's terrifying. And then it gets struck in the legs by this rock. And it crumbles and then it shatters to ashes that get blown away and you can't even see them anymore. But that rock grows into a mountain that takes over the whole world. And the king is looking at it and he's saying, what? Right? But I would suggest that the king maybe is not saying what, but he's saying amen because finally somebody knows a dream. Only the king knew what he dreamt. And so when Daniel says exactly what he dreamed, he's sitting there saying, how does he know this? I believe that this is the king's first meeting with prophecy. You ever been at service and you be like, how the pastor know that? The pastor don't know, but God knows. How did he know that? And then, after we get this dream, Daniel then explains it. He says, I'll give the king this interpretation. The statue represents human empires, human government. It's terrifying because it's scary to understand what's going to be in power. Let's just be frank. Imagine that you had a prophecy about the Nazi empire. Would you, that would be a terrifying thing. Imagine that you had a dream about the Chinese government. That would be a scary dream. Korean government, even the United States government, these are not, listen, people, governments are scary. And so he imagines these empires, and they're scary. Also note that it goes from precious to not so precious, but from soft to strong. I could give whole sermons just on that. How the empires of man have degenerated. 
But he starts to explain what these mean, and we, and we kind of understand what they mean, right? The gold represents Babylon. The Babylonian kingdom took over the whole Middle East. And after Babylon fell, Persia took over. And Persia, the kingdom of silver. It was not as good as Babylon. It wasn't as majestic as Babylon, but it was a little bit stronger. And after the Persian kings reigned for a little bit, Greece took over. And Alexander the Great smashed everybody. Bronze is stronger than silver. And so he took over everything, but he didn't really care about nobody that he took over. He just wanted to go to war. He just wanted to take over the world. He was the prototypical villain that we see in every cartoon. And after he took over the world, he died quickly. And everything went to chaos because all he had was a whole bunch of bloodthirsty men that was underneath him who also liked going to war. Well, after the Greek Empire fell apart, the Roman Empire took over. And the Roman Empire was extremely strong. It was made out of iron. But they were also extremely ruthless. It eventually became an empire that was iron mixed with clay because you look and you can see in the Bible there's also different kings who served under them, right? So you got kings of Israel and you got king, the king of Egypt. There was still a king of Egypt. They just had to serve the Roman Empire. So it was iron mixed with clay. And then comes this stone. A stone not cut with human hands. Might I say a stone born of a virgin? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation. I'm a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. The one who falls on this stone will be broken in pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Who is that stone? When did this stone appear? It appeared in the middle of the Roman government. When Caesar said, everybody, go to your hometown so you can be taxed. That stone suddenly appeared. That stone started the church. And that church was just a little pebble at first. Just 120 people in a little room. But the Holy Spirit spoke to those people. And immediately that first day, thousands were saved. And that stone became a little mountain. And then afterwards, they were scattered. And the word of God broadened. And what became a little mountain became a big mountain. And that mountain is still growing to this day. And one day that mountain will shatter all the empires of the world. That mountain is the kingdom of God. That mountain is the church. And so Daniel explains this to the king, not with that depth, but he got to understand that God's kingdom will be set up. And the king hears all this, and he bows down. Now, he bowed down to Daniel. You know, we got problems with that. And I understand you got a problem with it, so do I, but Daniel can't control the king, right? He bows down to Daniel. He offers incense to Daniel. And then the king says, truly, your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, but you have been able to reveal this mystery. 
and he promotes Daniel, and he promotes Daniel's friends. And then in the next chapter, he builds a statue of gold to himself. But that's beyond the point, okay? Right? It's just a strong lesson in Scripture that, you know, unbelievers will misinterpret the Scriptures and serve themselves. But when you look at this passage, this passage is big. I also want you to note that this passage becomes a mirror. It starts off with the king troubled. He summons the wise men, and it ends with him overjoyed in promoting Daniel and his friends. The king asks for interpretation. Daniel gives one. The king asks somebody to tell him the dream. Daniel tells him the dream. Nobody can answer the king, but Daniel says only God can answer the king. The king resorts to violence. Daniel stops the violence. And in the middle of the passage, Daniel blesses God because only he reveals the mystery. You know, there's a lot to apply in this. God is speaking to man through dreams in unusual ways. And sometimes that's hard for us to grasp in our modern world. But we all have that same feeling. How many people have a dream and they tell somebody near them about the dream? And what a dream is, a dream is a search for answers. A dream in some senses is a yearning to be significant. We all come and say, did that dream mean something? We all tell each other our dreams. Some of the dreams be silly and we just tell them because they're silly. But other times we really wonder, is it something to that dream? But in another way, the king represents the modern man. The modern man asks the experts for answers, but he has a sneaking suspicion that the experts are liars and scammers. And when he can't find truth, he resorts to violence. He can only find the truth if a prophet intervenes in his life and reveals God's word. But if he doesn't have that prophet, he immediately leaps to kill. That's why we got mass shootings. We got lots of people who have been misled by the so-called experts of our day. They think they have truth, and when they find that truth is empty, they shoot up a school. They shoot up a mall. We got experts speaking to people, and then they find it's empty, they say, hey, you could be sexually free, you could be sexually liberated, and then they get empty, and then they have an abortion. Violence. We got experts speaking to people, and then they realize and say, you know what, I was a boy, maybe I should be a girl, maybe I'll be happier. And they do violence to their own body. That's what surgery is. Violence to their own body. And they end up no happier than when they started. In fact, sadder because they start to recognize that all that surgery made them even less happy than they were before. It's all because when we come to the heart problems, we gotta understand that man does not have the answer to these problems. Only God does. I want us to beware what the world preaches about this issue because the world will always claim expertise and feels that they cannot know. Every time you have a problem, the world will turn over and say, hey, I want you to meet this psychologist over here. Hey, we got grief counselors over here. Hey, I got a career at this, I got a career at that. And listen, some of those people know some things. 
I'm like Daniel. I don't think that they should be destroyed. They have some value. But you need to beware turning to those experts first. Beware a world that excludes, excludes divine truth, but then acts like it's heard all the answers. Isn't that what happened in this passage? He said he summoned all the wise men, but Daniel wasn't there. That's what the world will do. Oh, we can't find no answers to this problem. I guess there is no answer. We can't solve the problem of violence in Milwaukee. Yes, we can. You didn't call me. You didn't call God's word. You know what we need to do? We need to preach the gospel. We need to throw the murderers in jail. We need to penalize the criminal. We need to reward the just. They don't want to hear that. Oh, let's start an office of violent provision. Let's spend more money. That's not the answer. I think about the whole point of this passage, and that is this, that God is sovereign, and he alone plans the future and gives knowledge. So we got these application points. We got to stop trusting experts over God's word, God's leaders, God's church. Experts told us to shut our churches down. We shouldn't have been shutting our churches down. We should have kept them open. We need to understand that prayer is the answer no matter what the question is. Daniel and his friends were under the face of violence. And what did they do? They prayed. We need to understand that when good people step forward and pray faith with prudence and discretion, we stop violence. I believe the reason that violence is rising all throughout our society is not just because of our poor politics, and it is true, but because good people are not stepping forward. There's more than one way to step forward. Sometimes it is simply, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Other times it's stepping up and being a wise word to somebody. Other times, it's reporting a crime that you see going on. Here's another point. We need to promote the people of God. I noticed that when Daniel got promoted, he promoted his friends. We need to do our best to promote the people of God. I'll note that it says, give the glory to God. We need to give God the glory. Daniel didn't take the credit on his own. Now, the king bowed down to Daniel. He can't stop that. But he gave the glory to God. In the middle of this passage, when Daniel was threatened to be executed, he stopped and he blessed his God. We need to stop in the midst of our stress and bless our God. And I want you to see the purpose of God in this passage. How he showed that even though Israel was in captivity, and even though there will be evil empires reigning over them, four evil empires, he will bring his son into existence. And one day his son will rule over all of those for the good of the people of God. But lastly, I want to end with this. This passage is, of course, a double mirror. And the point that the passage raises is these three. The first one is this. It's God's revelation that causes the troubled king to rejoice. The troubled king starts off, he ends up happy. Why is he happy? Because of God's revelation. 
When the king doesn't hear what he wants from the wise men, he resorts to violence. But Daniel, acting in faith, saves the innocent and reveals God's purpose. And then the last one is, no one can answer the king except God. That's the passage. So let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us through this book, Lord. What we learn is not deep, Lord, but it's a blessing, Lord, because it's your truth. We pray, Lord, that we would act in faith like Daniel, that we would step forward. That we would understand that this world is confused. They do not know your truth or your ways. And if it is not for us volunteering, they would never know. Oftentimes, this is why they resort to violence, because they never know your truths. They never know your revelation. But only you know the answer to their problem. And they will never know those answers because they don't know you. And so it is up to us to reveal you to them, Lord, to teach your truths. So I pray, Lord, that you will lead us with boldness, but also with discretion and prudence to answer the world and tell them that there is a God that reveals mysteries. And the mystery that is revealed is that the sun will raise. The sun will reign. One day this Lord will return and he will set everything right. And all men and women and children, boys and girls will have to answer to him. So we pray, Lord, that we preach that message. In your name we pray. Amen.